night. And um, before we start our study of God's Word, I'm just going to remind us that this is the second uh, Sunday evening of the month. And um, for those that can make it, we go out to dinner together on the second Sunday evening of the month. Is that my fault, Stevens? Okay. Um, and tonight we're going to go to Gray's right there on Broadway, kind of across from um, the Park Place Mall. That's where we'll go tonight after our study. Uh, but turn with me to the book of Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are in verse number 6, and we are beginning to look at the exhortation um, part of Second Thessalonians. Paul has come to the point in this letter where he wants to leave the Christians there in Thessalonica with some um, departing exhortations, some exhortating thoughts. Uh, let me read verses 6 through 13. That's the part we're going to begin to look at this evening. So follow along with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we did not have a right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we are with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him, so that he will, not be, so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother." The title of the message tonight is God Hates Laziness Because He Has a Fatherly Concern for the Lazy. God Hates Laziness Because He Has a Fatherly Concern for the Lazy. Let's pray, and then we'll begin to look at this passage. Our great Almighty God, our Heavenly Father who art in heaven, we praise you that you love us with the love of a father. We praise you, Father, that your love for us is not determined, is not patterned after the earthly Father's love. But we praise you, Father, that you set the pattern. You set the template for what love really is. And we thank you, Lord, this evening for your eternal Father-like love for us. We pray, Lord, that we would continue to learn how to respond to everything that you teach, understanding that it comes from a Father's hand that it comes from a Father's mouth, that it comes from you, our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Paul begins the exhortation portion of this letter tonight, and there are very few imperative verbs in this exhortation section. But the lead verb of this section is a verb that emphasizes the necessity of obeying what is being said. Generally, when we come to the exhortation part of, a, of an epistle, you'll see many different imperative verbs. You'll see many verbs that are commanding imperative verbs, but you don't see that in this section. In fact, we will not come to an imperative until you get down to verse 14, where it says take, special note of that person. The verb take there is an imperative. 
In verse 15, there's two imperatives. Yet do not regard, that's an imperative, do not regard, but admonish him, that's another imperative, admonish him. So the imperatives in this section do not come to you, get to the end of the section. But yet the verb there that the section begins with, command, helps us to understand that we are talking about the exhortation part of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. This verb is used when there is an announcement to be made about something that must be done. This verb emphasizes the demanding nature of what is being said. The issue of laziness within the church is a serious issue, and it must be taken seriously. The command is being made to the Christians in the church of Thessalonica. This command is being made with an attitude of endearment. Although this is a command not to have anything to do with those who are lazy, it is a command that is made with an attitude of endearment. And you can see that in verse 6, where Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, and you can see it also in verse 13, where Paul writes, But as for you, brethren, and then again in verse 15, he says, Yet not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So it is a command um, to have nothing to do with laziness, but it is a command that is made with a sense of endearment. Paul is not indifferent to the autocratic, totalitarian dictator barking out orders. Paul is a brother to these readers, and he's endeared to these readers. Paul cares for his readers, and he has their best interest at heart. Paul is concerned that his readers are being taken advantage of by the laziness of other believers, and he's concerned also about the believers that have adopted this lazy attitude. He's not trying to be an autocratic, totalitarian dictator barking out orders. He wants them to know that he comes to them as a brother, and he wants them to know that I have great concern for you because there are people that are lazy within the church that are taking advantage of you. And not only am I concerned about those that are being taken advantage of, I'm also very concerned about those that are lazy because this laziness is not good for them at all. There are many different lifestyles that Paul could have been concerned about when he begins his exhortation part of this letter. There are many different areas of sin that he could have exhorted his readers not to take part in and flee from. Are you sure I'm okay here, Stevens? I'm not? Okay. All right. Um, let's look at some of the other things that Paul could have been um, emphasizing. It's interesting to me that he begins to emphasize on laziness. Of all the things he could have emphasized, he focuses on laziness. So let's take a look at some of the other things he could have emphasized. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, of things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now in his exhortation part here in Thessalonians, he could have taken on any one of those more serious sins to focus on. But he doesn't look at those things. He looks at laziness. He gives another list of sins that he could have addressed in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. 
And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So Paul's exhortation has nothing at all to do with these grievous sins. Instead, he chose to exhort his readers to have nothing to do with those who demonstrate their unruly lives by being lazy. He chooses to focus on unruly lives that are demonstrated by being lazy. The word for unruly emphasizes the defiance of an orderly conduct. Evidently, an orderly church was marked out by the overall work ethic of the members of that church. Those who did not abide by a sound work ethic were not only lazy, they were considered unruly. The lazy are out of order with the norm of the church. I find that very interesting, that a solid, hard work ethic is part of the norm of a vibrant church. A church that is really all that God wants that church to be is a church that is marked by a solid work ethic. Now, certainly as we grow up, um, we grew up with parents that emphasized the importance of having a good, sound work ethic. My parents had a good, sound work ethic. Kathy's parents had a good, sound work ethic. We tried to, to pass on that, that emphasis of a good, sound work ethic to our children. But in all that, I didn't realize how important it is to the church. This is a mark that the church is to be marked by. If you have an orderly church, you have a church that understands the importance of a good, sound work ethic. As Paul addresses this issue within the church, he wants to be sure that people do not think he's speaking on his own authority. The Apostle Paul does not seem like to me to be a lazy sort of person. He seems like he's a hard worker. He's energetic. He's proactive. He takes charge and makes things happen. He does not wait for others to make things happen. He does not wait for people to take care of him. He takes care of himself. He does not seem like the laissez-faire type of person. Paul knows that in and of himself, he can accomplish nothing. He knows that his sufficiency is in Christ and that he's totally dependent upon God working through him. But yet, he's not a let-go, let-God type. He knows he has to put forth an effort that he can, then he can totally rely upon God working out the results. Paul, if you just study the life of Paul, he doesn't seem like a lazy man. He doesn't seem like the type of person that would say, let go and let go. He seems like one who really understands the importance of working very hard. Given the work ethic of the Apostle Paul, I'm sure he could have supplied the church with his own personal thoughts on the topic of laziness. But he wanted to be sure that his teaching on laziness was based upon divine authority and not human opinion. That's why in verse 6 he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure the Apostle Paul could have come up with all sorts of reasons why not to be lazy. I'm sure he had very strong opinions about lazy people, but he doesn't rely upon his opinions. He wants to make sure that his teaching is connected with the authority of God. Under the direct authority of Christ and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is going to command that the church follow six rules which are designed to discourage laziness. Both his commands and his rules come with the divine authority of God. In this passage, we will see six rules 
that we can look at, that we can use to help us protect. Let's just grab the other side. Just grab what? Alright, that'll take care of all the static, hopefully. But the Bible has much to say about laziness. And so before we start to look at these diff- six different rules or six different guidelines that we can follow, what I want to do is just introduce to us tonight what the Bible has to say about laziness. And one of the first passages I want to look at is Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6. And one of the things I'm hoping to establish as we look, and we're going to be mostly in the Proverbs, as we look what the Proverbs have to say about laziness, I want us to understand why laziness is not just a problem for those who have to deal with lazy people, but laziness is a real problem for the person that is lazy. That's why in my, my title here, I write, God hates laziness because he has a fatherly concern for the lazy. He wants to be sure that the church deals with laziness within the church but he also wants to be sure the church deals with that laziness because he's very concerned about the person that is lazy. The one that is hurt the most from a person's laziness is that person. The person is hurting himself. The person himself will suffer from his own laziness more than anyone else. So when we're trying to correct people and their, their laziness, we are doing it for their sake because we know that it is not good for them to be lazy. It is not good for a person to grow up being lazy. Look here with me in Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6. Go to the ant. So here we are going to look at ants, and ants are going to teach us something about a good solid work ethic. And so before we start looking at ants, I want to share with you a little bit of study that I found on ants, Um, a little bit of understanding of ants. Ants are an amazing part of God's creation. Ants are an amazing part of God's creation. I can remember even as a grade school, grade school age young boy, loving to watch the, the ant hills and always wanting to buy one of those um, cages, those aquariums that have ants in it and watch these ants. I loved watching ants. Ants are just an amazing creature. Uh, when we really became aware of this is when we first moved to Southern California. In Southern California, if you left any kind of food out, if you left just a little bit of jelly out, by the next morning, you have two rows of ants coming to that jelly and two rows of ants leaving that jelly. And you can go outside and you can follow those ants. You can follow them up the wall, go across the ceiling, come down, follow them along the baseboard. They go right outside. You can go outside and you can continue to follow those ants. And you'll continue to follow, walk and walk and walk and walk, following those ants till you get too tired to go any longer. It is amazing how they find that food and then form this huge long line coming to their nest, and to the food, and back again. And if it's enough food, they travel in, in pairs. You've got two lines coming and two lines coming back. Really an amazing thing to watch. But they are an amazing part of God's creation. According to different estimates, ants can carry 10 to 50 times their body weight. 10 to 50 times their body weight, or maybe even more. I cannot begin to carry 10 times my body weight let alone 50 times my body weight or even more. How? Because ants are so small, their muscles have a greater cross-sectional area. They are thicker relative to their body size than in larger animals. They have the ability to carry more weight 
relative to their body size than larger animals. Ants will work together to accomplish a common goal. These little creatures are known to actually form beneficial habits. They have foresight. They are industrious with great economic vision. As an example of their industrious foresight and an an economic vision, consider that an ant will bite off the end of grain so that grain will not germinate and so they can store it up for later usage. That's how industrious they are. That's how economically envisionary they are. They know that if they bite off the end of the grain, that grain will not germinate. That grain will stay firm and and, in good shape for a long period of time. Then they'll take that grain and they'll store it up for later on when they need it. So with that understanding of ants, let's go on here and finish Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 6 through verse number 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come on you like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. The sluggard, the lazy person, needs to just consider the ant. The ant is so much more industrious than the lazy person. The ant is so much more envisionary, envision what they need to survive in the future than the lazy person. The ant has far more ability to take care of itself and and, and to plan for the future than the lazy person. The lazy people are always dreaming but never doing. Lazy people are always dreaming but never doing. Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 11. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues useless things or worthless things lacks sense. The pursuing of worthless things is an example of one who always has some newfangled way of getting things done. He's always dreaming of ways to work easier without ever actually getting anything done. And I've seen many people like that. They have all kinds of dreams. They have all kinds of visions. They have all kinds of plans. They're always thinking of a new way to do things, a new way to make money, a new way to make work easier, and yet they get nothing done. And what's amazing with these people is these people are able to encourage others to support them, to invest in their newfangled ideas, and then nothing comes of it. But that's another um, characteristic of a lazy person. Always thinking, always planning, always dreaming, trying to figure out a new and better way to make money, trying to figure out a new and easier way to make a living, but yet never getting anything done. That's a characteristic of lazy people. Lazy people tend to be all talk and no action. They're all talk and no action. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23. In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. What leads to profit? Actually laboring, actually working. But if all you're doing is talking, if all you have is mere talk, that will lead to poverty. Talking about how one is going to accomplish a project is important. It is good use of your time to have a game plan. But to just talk about how to get the job done without ever actually doing anything to get the job done is of absolute no value. It's important that we have a game plan. It's important that we talk about how we're going to get something done. 
But eventually, you have to put your words to action. You have to actually do something. And that's another characteristic of lazy people. They like to have all kinds of talk. They like to pontificate. And they like to think of all kinds of things and talk about all kinds of, 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 of plans and, and talk about working. But they never actually get busy with the work. Another characteristic of lazy people. Lazy people are always procrastinating. Lazy people tend to be procrastinators. Proverbs 6, verse 9, going back to the proverb we just looked at. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Well, I know I need to get the job done, but I'm feeling a little tired today. I don't think I need to get up today to do it. I need to sleep a little longer. After all, if I'm tired, then I must really need sleep. I wouldn't need sleep if I wasn't tired, so so very important that I get this sleep. I don't want to go out and and work and have something happen to me because I overstrain myself, so I'll just sleep a little longer. Always coming up with some reason to just put off the job and never get the job done. And that leads to another characteristic, is the lazy people have a tendency to never finish what they start. Now, as I say this, I don't even want to look at my wife because she keeps telling me that this backyard project we've had has been going on for three years. It isn't quite three years, but honey, I'll let you know, I am motivated to get out there and do the work. Now, she's going to tell me that I shouldn't be doing the work. I should hire somebody to do the work, or else I'm going to have another blood clot. But anyways, I know what the, what, the, what the proverb, the writer of Proverbs is saying here when we have a tendency to start things and not to finish them, and here's the proverb that actually shows that. A lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. Think of the man that goes out, he goes hunting, he, he gets his prey, he, he gets his animal that he's hunting for, but then he never cooks it. He never roasts it. He never eats it. And contrary to that, in contrast to that, the writer of Proverbs says, the precious possession of a man is diligence. He who is diligent to finish what he started, that diligence is a precious possession. But lazy people have a tendency to never finish what they start. Lazy people are always making excuses. Proverbs 22, verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. I can't go out and work today. Something might happen to me. It's just too cold today. I'm not going to do it today. Ah, it's too hot today. Oh, the weather's just not right. It's raining today. Oh, I just can't do it today. Always coming up with excuses always imagining some horrible thing is going to happen if I choose today to be the day when I finally get the job done. And so it all works together for them to just put the job they started off a little bit longer, for them to just practice a little bit more, for them to be, again, just a little bit more satisfied. Well, at least I made some good plans today. I got the planning part done. I got that done. I'm on, I've talked about it, and they feel good that they've accomplished something because they've talked about it. They've come up with more and more excuses to never get the job done. The lazy are always spouting off. They tend to always be spouting off. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. You ever notice that about lazy people? They're always trying to tell you how to get the job done. They always are spouting off. They're always sharing their wisdom. They seem to think they have more wisdom and more intelligence than seven men that are actually out there getting the job done. Those who go out and get the job done, they are the energetic ones. 
those who just continue to talk about the job, those who just continue to talk about how smart they are and how they're going to get all this done, how they're going to do all that, but all they do is talk and talk and talk, spouting off their own wisdom, tend to be the lazy ones in the group. Now we begin to look at the, the problem with being lazy and how it really affects laziness. Laziness is something that really affects the individual in a very negative way. Lazy people tend to be unfulfilled and anxious. They tend to be unfulfilled and anxious. Proverbs chapter 13, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Proverbs 21 verse 26, all day long he's craving while the righteous gives and does not hold back. Those that are lazy, the sluggard, he tends to always want something, but he's never getting He's always craving, but never getting. The, the, the sluggard, the lazy person, is always unfulfilled, and he just seems to be anxious. There's a disturbance within him. There's no peace within him. There's no calmness within him. He's always nervous, always struggling, always anxious, never truly at peace. And not only that, the lazy tend to always be in trouble. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will come on you as a robber, and you will want like an armed man. Here, Proverb, the, the writer of Proverbs is noticing the field of the sluggard and he's noticing his vineyard and he's understanding that the sluggard has no sense at all. He realizes that the, the vineyard of the sluggard just is overgrown with thistles and, and the surface is covered with thistles and nettles and the wall is broken down. There's no protection of the vineyard. The wild animals can get into the vineyard. He looks at all this and he stops and reflects and he looks at it and he received instruction. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then poverty will come on you as, ro as a robber. He watched his neighbor, and his neighbor was a lazy person, and his neighbor was a procrastinator. His neighbor wouldn't finish the job. His neighbor perhaps talked about it, planned about it, but he always came up with an excuse not to go out and get the job done. And he looks at his neighbor's field, and he sees it's total disaster. It's like a robber came upon him suddenly, and took everything away from him. The writer of Proverbs says in chapter 15, verse 19, the way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns. Not only is his field overtaken by, by thistles and by weeds, but his very way, the path that he treads, is a path of, of thorns. His very way is a painful path. It's not just his field, it's everything he does. It's all of his life. All of his life is turned upside down. All of his life is pain. All of his life is misery because of his laziness. Chapter 19, verse 15. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. The more and the more a person lives in a lazy state, the more and more lazy he becomes. It's like he, he enters into a, a deep stupor, a deep sleep, 
and he has no ability to see that his laziness is actually bringing a quick end to his life. His laziness is robbing him of all joy. His laziness is robbing him of all contentment. And it's as if his laziness exponentially continues to get worse and worse and worse. The writer of Hebrews goes on, or Proverbs goes on now in chapter 20, verse 4. He says, The sluggard does not plow after autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Proverbs 21, verse 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. He may not physically die, but he might just as well be dead, because he has no joy, he has no satisfaction, he has no peace in his life. He's just lived a lazy life, and he's never changed it. He's always been lazy, and he continues on in his laziness, and he is a miserable, miserable human being. And he becomes a nuisance. Lazy people can become a nuisance. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a lazy one to those who send him. It is pain to work with a lazy person. Nobody that has a good, sound work ethic likes to work with a lazy person. It is painful to work with a lazy person. You much rather do the work yourself. You much rather not even have them there because it makes it so difficult when you're trying to work with a lazy person. Proverbs 18, verse 9. He also who is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The lazy person is a brother. He's at one with the person that destroys. And so you can see why God, through Paul, would want to be sure that the church is dealing with lazy people within the church. Not only is that laziness going to have an effect on the church, but it is going to have a horrific effect on the lazy person himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who lives an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. And next week when we continue to study this passage, we're going to see that that unruly life is a lazy life. Have nothing to do with the person who is lazy. He says then in verse 14, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. We will see this next week that when Paul says, "Do not, um, if anybody does not obey our instruction in this letter, that he's specifically talking about his instruction concerning the lazy. Because I went back and I read through 2 Thessalonians. There really is no other instruction that he's given. This is the first instruction he has for this church. You must deal with lazy in the church. That's his first instruction. And if somebody doesn't want to listen to you, if someone doesn't want to follow Christ's instruction to the church, Concerning laziness, then we're to have nothing to do with that person so that they will put to shame. But then he says this in verse 15, Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. We're not to regard him as an enemy. We're to admonish him as a brother. We're not to regard him as being a non-believer. We're not to say that because he has a poor work ethic, because he is unruly, because he's disruptive in the church, and he doesn't work hard, and he's not diligent, that doesn't mean that he's not a Christian. He's a brother. He's not our enemy. But we want to come alongside of him and we want to be firm with either he or she. We want to be sure that we're dealing with the laziness in their lives. 
It is true that lazy within the church will become a huge burden to the church and a detriment to the purposes of the church and an impediment to the advancement of the church. Yet, as much as a problem that laziness is to the church, it is probably a greater problem to the person who is lazy. The lazy are not our enemy. The church must be sure not to allow the laziness of the lazy to negatively affect the church, but the church must also admonish the lazy for the sake of his being lazy. In this passage, it's going to be good to have these guidelines because it's a difficult thing for the church to do, to know how to deal with the lazy people within the church. And practically speaking, as I've thought about our church, I don't know of anybody in our church that lives in this lazy manner. Perhaps you know of other Christians that do live in a lazy manner. They're not, maybe not be a part of this church, this local church, but they're a part of the church as a whole. It's very important that we seek the Lord's wisdom on how to deal with this. And so it's going to be good to come back next week and to think about these 12 rules, these 12 or six rules, six guidelines that God gives us on how do we deal how do we deal with that, that relative? How do we deal with that friend? How do we deal with that person that we know is a Christian and that they live in such a, a lazy attitude and a lazy lifestyle? How do we deal with them? How do we help them? It's important that we come to God's word and find direction for that. But then again, in a practical way, I think it's important. I found it in my own life. I gave an example of how I, I need to be diligent to make sure we get this backyard project done. There is this tendency to get it started and not to finish it. We need to look at our own lives. Where are there little symptoms of this in our own lives? Where are we being lazy in our own lives? It's a little bit easier not to be lazy when we work for a person. But when we, when we work for ourselves or when we're doing a home project and, 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 and it's, we're, the, we're the ones overseeing it, it's easier for that laziness to, to creep in. When it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, it's easy to let laziness seep in, even in our study of the word, even in our quiet time, even in our devotion, even in how we help out in the church. It's easy to let that laziness creep in. If we're in any kind of a volunteer ministry, it's easy for that laziness to creep in. It's easy for pastors to become lazy. They generally don't have somebody sitting over top of them making sure that they're studying diligently making sure they're doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. They really are under the, 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 the influence of the Holy Spirit to make sure they're not lazy. Even pastors got to guard themselves that they don't become lazy. People in the church need to guard themselves that they don't become lazy. Plus, we need to have leading and guiding from God in order to help us deal with those that we know are struggling with laziness. And I think if people understand that our real intent is not to condemn them, not to put them down, but our real intent is we know that that laziness is not good for them. It's not good for, for who they are, that maybe they might understand our love and see that, not as an attack against them, but as coming alongside of them to actually help them. Let's pray, and then we'll have one more song. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this time together tonight. We pray, Father, that you would be with us as we enjoy going out to dinner together. We praise you, Father, for this very practical instruction. We pray, Lord, that we continue to look at ourselves and, and be sure that we are not practicing laziness ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness in this teaching. In your name we pray. Amen.